Welcome to Season 1, Episode 10 of So Strange. I'm your host, Andy Myers. I'm an author and a paranormal researcher who's super excited that Halloween's right around the corner. Actually, my local grocery store uh, created a little display area highlighting all the monster-themed cereals last week. And you got your Booberry, you got your Frankenberry, you got your Count Chocula. And did I buy one, you might ask? Hell yes, I did. <laughs> and I make no apologies. Yes, Halloween's coming up soon, and as a fan of all things paranormal, uh, personally, it makes me happier than Santa Claus at Christmas time. I've got a really great episode lined up for you today. We're talking about mythical creatures and 10 things you might not know about them. So that's right, our noble quest begins right here, ladies and gentlemen. So don your armor, grab your shield, secure your outdated monster map, perhaps, <laughs> because things are about to get so strange. Mythical creatures are deeply rooted in folklore and mythology, and many serve as inspiration for blockbuster movies and beloved animal films. While many aspects of the history of these creatures are well known, some are less so. And on this list uh, are just some of the lesser known facts about mythological creatures. So be we begin with uh, number 10. Leprechauns are a protected species. Leprechaun otherwise known as Tiny Bearded Man, dressed in green and in possession of a pot of gold that is hidden at the end of a rainbow. These solitary creatures are said to be fond of making shoes and playing tricks on humans. While they are prominently featured in Irish folklore and are thought to live in a colony in Ireland, there is also an official colony in Portland, Oregon, believe it or not. Columnist Dick Fagan sought to beautifully or excuse me, sought to beautify a very small concrete median that had previously housed a lamp post. So he planted some flowers in the dirt in the street in front of his office in Portland in 1948. He named it Mill Ends after his column. To spread the word about his unofficial park, he claimed that he had seen a leprechaun rooting around in the flowers one day. So he ran outside and caught the leprechaun, who then granted him a wish. Fagin wished for a new park, and the leprechaun gave him the flowery spot that he had been caught in. Mill End Park was officially dedicated on March 17, 1948, and subsequently became known as the largest leprechaun colony outside of Ireland. Leprechauns are also protected under European Union law and have been since 2009. The law claims to preserve flora, fauna, and leprechauns in an area called Luth, which is in the uh, Slybath Foy Loop. Those who lobbied for this law claim that there are only 236 leprechauns left in Ireland and that they are all living in the Luth area. All right, now I'm not sure how they came to that exact number of 236 leprechauns. I don't know. Maybe there was an email that went out. And it said, you know, like, be at Dave's house uh, Tuesday evening if you want to be accounted for and protected under European law. Uh, how many are you? Uh, 10, there's 20, 30. Okay, 236 of you. Good enough. Off you go. But speaking of leprechauns, uh, apparently, word on the street has it that there's generous ones and greedy ones. 
So the leprechaun that's assigned to my particular house on St. Patrick's Day must be a nice one because he tends to leave my daughter gold or little treasures as opposed to taking things from our house. And every spring she gets a big kick out of it, obviously, but I kind of wish we did have the kind of leprechaun who steals things. You know, maybe he could uh, take away some of the bills from my kitchen counter or, I don't know, take out the trash on his way out. Is that too much to ask for? <laughs> I don't know. I'm not a leprechaun whisperer. Number nine, we have household staples against fairies. Fairies originated in English folklore. The earliest writings about these creatures came from uh, Gervais of Tilbury, a 13th century English scholar and canon lawyer. I don't know what a canon lawyer is, but anyways. <laughs> the fairies he wrote about were both good and evil, with the evil ones causing so much fear in Ireland that it was forbidden to refer to them by name. Houses were built with fairy travels in mind, aligning front and back doors so that they could be left open at night to let the fairies pass through. Those who believe in these magical beings believe that they live in a parallel universe called the Realm of the Fae, and they hide from humans because we invaded their land. That sounds about right. Uh, fairies are also said to love sparkly things, so if you want to avoid having your pre precious items stolen, you should pour a circle of salt around them, uh, to protect them, you should run into a. Uh, should you run into a fairy at night, uh, just throw breadcrumbs at it and flee. Now, this article doesn't specify whether uh, panko breadcrumbs work best or maybe some Italian seasoning breadcrumbs. I don't know which one does the trick better. I guess that's trial and error. Uh, seriously, though, I have uh, I've had a handful of clients throughout the years, uh, just a couple. But, you know, people, sane, credible, normal, everyday people who claim to have seen a fairy, uh, not in their imagination, like an actual flesh and blood fairy. Uh, of course, uh, notoriously, Ireland is the, the home of the fairy uh, folklore. And sure enough, one of my clients uh, was in Ireland when she saw one in a forest. Number eight, we have the legend of the Amarok. Inuit mythology tells the tale of a giant wolf or Amarok, that devours any person who hunts alone at night. Several stories feature the Amarok, including the one that tells of the boy who called out to the Lord of Strength to increase his own physical strength. An Amarok appeared out of nowhere and struck the boy to the ground with its tail. As the boy fell, several small bones fell around him. Stunned, the boy realized that the bones came from his own body. The Amarok told the boy that these small bones were preventing his growth and ordered him to return every day to learn how to fight. After a few days, the boy had enough strength to overpower three large bears. The Inuit people revere the wolf and see its existence and hunting abilities as a boost in their ongoing quest for food. They also believe that the wolf, uh, the wolf to be essential in maintaining big game populations. So those who want their children to grow up to be good hunters place an anklet made of a wolf's feet and lower leg muscle fibers around the infant's ankle. This would ensure that when the child is old enough to start hunting, he would be blessed with the speed and endurance of a wolf. All right, admittedly, I've never heard of this one before, but if we're talking about uh, giant wolves, my mind immediately goes to the phenomenon known as Dogman. Uh, which may be completely unrelated to this Inuit mythology. Um, I, I'm not sure about that, but if you haven't heard of Dogman, uh, Dogman sightings uh, all around the world, but particularly in the United States, have become 
so common. Uh, it almost seems like there's more dogman sightings than Bigfoot sightings anymore. Uh, dogman, uh, by appearance, is actually very similar to a werewolf. Uh, people of all walks of life and dang near every <laughs> every state in the Union are reporting an upright bipedal uh, werewolf-type creature with pointed ears, kind of looking like a German shepherd. Uh, color ranges from black to gray to brown. Uh, these creatures, I mean, people are seeing these things up close and personal. It's not like, okay, a shadowy figure in the woods. People are seeing these things at such close range. I mean, they've, they've hit them with their car. Uh, these creatures have uh, hurt people's animals uh, on nature hikes, but they're seeing them up close, uh, usually seven to eight, sometimes nine feet tall. Uh, Dogmen are ripped, I mean jacked, just like roided out, like bodybuilder Arnold, Arnold Schwarzenegger type muscles, you know, six pack of abs, wicked abs. He's wicked strong. Uh, but these people, you know, I'm listening to uh, another podcast, all 400 some episodes that this that this host has going but there's a a show podcast called Dogman Encounters Radio it is nightmare fuel <laughs> and what the show is it's hosted by uh Vic Cundiff and it's a call-in show so people call in and share their accounts of seeing th these dogman creatures and uh, these people like hunters like Mr. Joe Hunter Fisher outdoorsman and these guys are brought to tears like these are not actors these are genuine people relaying their their first-hand encounters with a creature that should not exist um, so anyway if you're looking to uh, incorporate a few more nightmares into your sleep cycle uh, give that a listen after this episode and uh, again I don't know if dogman's related to this Inuit legend of the Amarok I'm guessing probably not uh, but I just had to throw that in there because uh, dogman is actually one of my favorite new cryptids and uh, as far as mythology um, there are some sightings that go back as far as like 1300s in France. Uh, people were re reporting upright beasts. And uh, Dogman didn't make the cut on this particular list, but we'll transition into number seven, which is uh, Mermaid Tears, which is appropriate because a mermaid would cry if he or she saw a dogman. But alas, here we go. Mermaids were originally considered to be half woman, half bird, but the bird part was exchanged for half fish, after a dispute with the Muses, images of mermaids were painted during the Stone Age around 30,000 years ago. Over the centuries, they became associated with misfortune and death, especially for sailors who braved the open seas. Those who wanted extra protection would carry an aquamarine gemstone, as it was said that aquamarine is made from mermaid tears and would protect seamen during the voyages. Over, uh, one of the earliest mermaid legends was born in Syria and centered around the fertility goddess Atar Atargatis. Uh, often depicted in mermaid form, Atargatis is considered uh, by many to be the original mermaid. During medieval times, the hundreds of accounts of mermaid sightings resulted in the existence of merma mermaids being accepted as fact for many people. So what is that creature on top of a rock supposedly captured on film by tourists? That is not a silver Many watching Animal Planet's Mermaids the New Evidence saw it as proof that mermaids do exist. The show, presented as a documentary, details close encounters with the mythical sea creatures. Dr. Paul Robertson, welcome. 
It even featured guests purporting to be scientists from the National Oceanic and Atmospheric Administration, or NOAA. But it was all in the name of entertainment. And it turns out Dr. Robertson is not really a scientist. So many viewers were fooled, NOAA, a federal agency, felt compelled to issue a statement. It said, neither NOAA nor its scientists are involved with anything related to this topic. No one from NOAA was involved in making the fictional show, and the person identified as a NOAA scientist was an actor. If you watch the show closely enough, Animal Planet did include this disclaimer during the closing credits. Certain events in this film are fictional. Disappointed viewers took to Twitter after discovering the show was fictional. Animal Planet, you are dead to me. You got me on your Little Mermaid hoax. What was the freaking point, one said. Fascination with mer people is not new. A wave of films like Splash and The Little Mermaid has opened people's imagination to the possibility of life under the sea. Under the sea. That's apparently what the filmmaker, Charlie Foley, wanted. He told CNN that the show is based on real scientific and evolutionary theory and real-life phenomena. Rooting our story with facts encouraged a sense of intellectual possibility. Now that clip was uh, courtesy of CNN on YouTube. And I remember when that documentary came out, uh, they had me going for a few minutes, but while I was watching it, I couldn't help but notice that it seemed a little scripted. I mean, the, like the actor portraying the scientist in the documentary, he was a good actor and everything, but still, I'm, it's like something seemed off, something seemed a little, a little fishy, pun intended. But admittedly, um, I was a little put off by the fact that Animal Planet would you know, pull such a stunt. But then again, in a world where scams and hoaxes are commonplace, I figure, you know, whatever. I mean, reality shows aren't real either. They're completely scripted and rehearsed. So I guess <laughs> Animal Planet's pretty much par for the course when it comes to modern day entertainment. But as for mermaids, uh, who knows? You know, most legends are rooted in a kernel of truth. So it's it's certainly interesting you know that mermaids are one of those legends that stem from all corners of the world on multiple continents. So maybe they are real or, you know, they were real once upon a time back before the ocean waters got so polluted. But uh, either that or ancient sailors and pirates were boozed up on rum and whiskey and mermaid sightings were nothing more than manatees sunning themselves on top of rocks. Uh, we may never know. But meanwhile, next time you're snorkeling in the Bahamas, keep an eye out just in case. Number six, the superpowers of the phoenix. According to legend, only one phoenix lived at a time, and each one lived for 500 years. As a phoenix's time drew near, it would build a nest and set itself on fire. Before long, a new phoenix would rise from the ashes in its place. The Greeks and Egyptians saw the phoenix as a symbol of the sun, with one myth saying that Apollo would stop both the sun and his chariot to listen to the magnificent bird's drawn song. The bird also symbolized renewal and rebirth, and because it once lived in paradise, it never truly died. The phoenix was also believed to have several powers and abilities, including an incinerating touch that could render a human to ashes in mere seconds. They were super fast with incredible strength, as well as teleportation and shape-shifting abilities. 
Some believe that one phoenix still inhabits Earth at any given time, awaiting its inevitable death and rebirth. So this whole thing to me, kind of, it sounds an awful lot like reincarnation, which is one of my absolute favorite topics, by the way. But one thing I, I was a little unclear about is if we're talking about the same bird rising from its own ashes or if it's a, di if it's a different bird each time. But either way, it, I guess it certainly has the undertones of reincarnation, you know, past lives, future lives, bird coming back and becoming its own sequel time and time again. But this mythological creature is uh, obviously it's been depicted in countless movies, including one of my daughter Sky's favorites, which is uh, Harry Potter and the Order of the Phoenix. Now, I, I once saw a strange bird uh, in Wyoming. I was eight or nine years old, and I don't think it was a phoenix, but still it was a, a bird that was so strange I have yet to make sense of what I saw. Now, back when I was eight or nine years old, you know, obviously children have imaginations, but I know what I, know what I saw because my brother was there and he saw it as well. We were actually playing frisbee with a girl in the neighboring cabin, and she saw it too. It's a large bird. Probably a six or seven foot wingspan uh, flew over our heads at very close range. I mean, this thing was maybe 15 feet above our heads, pretty pretty close as far as big birds go. Um, but the strangest thing about this, you know, large birds were not uncommon. We had been seeing bald eagles and, and whatnot because we were out near Jackson Hole, Wyoming, near the Teton Mountains. But this bird, the underside of its wings were odd. They were different. Uh, it was almost like a mix of different pastel shade colors. Uh, there was almost like a light blue. There was a yellowish tint. There was orange. There was pink. But again, it was on a spectrum of almost like pastel, uh, you know, almost think like Easter egg type colors. Um, and I, I don't know of any bird. You know, I'm not a ornithologist. Is that a bird scientist? <laughs> Regardless, I'm not a bird expert. But that I know of, the underside of a wing can't be rainbow colored. Uh, at least not on this planet. So what we saw, I do not know. I've never seen anything uh, like that before or since. And it certainly, uh, at the time, uh, struck me as so strange. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. Number five, we have modern gin tail. Gin, by the way, spelled J-I-N-N, -N, uh, also known as a gin or genie are supernatural creatures found in Islamic mythology. These spirits also have the ability to shapeshift and are made of smokeless fire and air. Furthermore, they are considered to be dual-dimensional and can live in both visible and invisible realms. While jinn are thought of mostly in the form of a genie, such as the wish-granting one seen in the movie Aladdin, they can also be used for protection. A modern-day story tells of a girl who had been bullied incessantly at her boarding school. And during one such incident, the bully ripped a chain from the girl's neck. Immediately, the girl began speaking in a deep male voice while her body buckled and twisted. At the same time, the bully's tongue swelled to the point where she struggled to breathe. It was only when teachers were called into the scene that things returned to normal. 
And soon it was discovered that the bullied girl's parents had gotten the chain that their daughter was wearing from a shaman, and the chain contained a djinn. Man, times have changed. <laughs> back back in my childhood, uh, if a bully tried pummeling me, which they did a time or two, uh, I had basically three options. I could take the beating from the bully, I could fight back, or I could try to get an adult involved, if an adult was even around, because this was the 80s. It was like the Wild West back then. Kids were expected to fight their own battles. Uh, but those were really only our three choices. Had I known there was a secret option number four, I totally would have gotten a gin involved. No, nothing like a ass-kicking genie <laughs> to help you stand up to the school bully. I mean, Mr. Miyagi should have gotten one of those for Daniel La LaRusso, uh, one of these genie necklaces, because that way Aladdin could have defeated Johnny at the All-Valley Karate Tournament, and Daniel wouldn't have needed to learn karate in the first place. I'm just saying. Number four, a persistent omen of death. A banshee is yet another type of fairy found in Irish folklore. The infamous scream of a banshee is said to be an omen of death. Some even believe that every family in Ireland has its own banshee. Uh, banshees are said to be spirits who appear in several forms, including a headless woman carrying a bowl of blood, wow, and an old woman with a veil covering her face. I don't know which of those sounds scarier, <laughs> actually. Uh, once they become aware of someone looking at them, they vanish into a cloud of fog. Some banshees are extremely angry because they hated their families while they were alive. In their disembodied state, their howls are said to mean that they are celebrating the imminent demise of a family member they hated. For this reason, they are among the most feared creatures in Ireland. To this day, the belief in banshees remains strong. In 2018, Willie Good from Cork, Ireland shared his chilling story. He heard a terrifying howl many years ago and initially thought that it came from cats prowling around his house. However, the noise moved around his walls and cats were nowhere to be found. Uh, it went on for 45 minutes and then abruptly stopped. Willie eventually forgot about it and went to bed. The next morning, he got the dreadful news that his neighbors, a father and daughter who didn't live far from him, they had both died during the night. Willie was convinced that uh, more than one banshee has, had visited his house to warn him of the impending tragedy. That's dark stuff right there. Uh, you know, I was tempted to search the internet for a sound clip of a banshee scream, but then I thought better. Because uh, first of all, I don't, uh, I don't think anyone who's heard a banshee scream had the wherewithal to grab their phone and capture audio of this terrifying phenomenon. Uh, assuming they've ever heard it before. I mean, it's super rare. But secondly, and more importantly, I did not want to make your ears bleed <laughs> or give you nightmares. So I withheld from rounding up a banshee audio clip. But I hear a banshee every day of my life, and it uh, the scream comes from my cat Darwin. He gets hangry. Uh, if he goes, you know, too long between meals, if I if I miss his lunch by 20 or 30 minutes, he looks up at me and he just <laughs> he just screams, and. Uh, other than that, he's he's a pretty good cat, though. You keep him fed, keep him snuggled. He's uh, he's a pretty happy camper. Anyway, I'll pause here for a moment. Uh, I'll just ask you to do me a solid. Uh, go ahead and rate and review the show if you're enjoying it. 
Uh, go ahead and do that on your whatever podcast platform you're listening on. Uh, share this with friends and family. You know, tell your so strange family members about it. And if they uh, are into this kind of stuff, maybe they'd enjoy giving it a listen as well. You can check out my other podcast, which is called Paranormal Dads. It's a show where my, my friends Eddie and Pat and myself, we explore the world's monsters, myths, and mysteries. And we tend to have a lot of a lot of laughs on that show, by the way. And uh, last but not least, uh, the secret letter for today's episode is R. R as in reindeer. Uh, again, you probably know by now, but if you collect one letter from each episode in season one, you can unscramble those letters to discover the secret word of the season. Email that word to andymyersmanagement at gmail.com. It'll qualify you for some perks and prizes and bonus content. So if you like decrypting things, that'll keep you busy for a while. Without further ado, we come to number three, which is Unicorn Prevents a War. The unicorn is one of the most beloved mythical creatures in the world. They're usually portrayed with uh, shining white fur and a multicolored horn and mane. The legendary creature is believed to possess magical abilities, and the ancient cultures describe it as a real animal. It was even included in natural history books at one point. Since the early days of the church, the unicorn has also been adopted as a symbol of Christ and his invincible strength. Legend has it that unicorn um, that a unicorn was instrumental in Genghis Khan's decision not to conquer India. Uh, Genghis Khan was on his way with his army when he came across a unicorn, allegedly. The unicorn bowed down to him, and Khan saw this as a message from his deceased father and decided to turn his army back. I'm going to go out on a limb here and say that on his way back home, uh, Genghis Khan probably hooked up with a woman or two. Or 20 or 40. Uh, if you haven't heard, uh, Homeboy got around. <laughs> he was a bit of a playboy. It's true. An estimated uh, 16 million men alive today are thought to be descendants of Genghis Khan. That's one out of every 200 men. It's kind of gross, right? Um, so uh, yeah, that's one way to go about conquering the world is reproducing yourself as many times as humanly possible. And uh, I don't know, I can't help but think that he probably had a huge ego and a very small, you know what, but that's a conversation for another podcast. Did a unicorn bow to him? I, I don't know. Uh, he seems like the kind of guy that would have been like off with its head if it didn't bow to him. But as for unicorns, uh, you know, it's perhaps the most majestic of all the mythical creatures. Uh, are they real? Are they not? Um, it might be the most revered in terms of pop culture references. I mean, as, as a girl dad myself, I can attest to the fact that Unicorns pretty much have a monopoly on the hearts of children. Uh, movies, you got toys, books, collectibles. Uh, unicorns are everywhere, you know, and for good reason. Uh, they're pretty awesome. It's, you know, it's a horse with a magical horn. Like, what else could he ask for? Number two, from Buggy Man to Boogeyman. It is thought that the legend of the Boogeyman, or Bogeyman, may have originated in Scotland. Still, it's somewhat of an impossible task to determine which countries may have related the first tales because the legend is so widespread. One of the most famous depictions of the boogeyman is a monster hiding under the bed in a child's room. The boogeyman takes on different forms depending on the country. In England, it's a shadowy ghost. In Germany, it's a goblin. In Russia, it's Baba Yaga. And in Mexico, it's uh, La Yorna. 
In the UK, it's believed that the boogeyman was once the nickname of the buggy men who were responsible for collecting the dead during the Black Plague. Because these buggy men were constantly in contact with death and dead people, they often contracted the disease and became uh, emaciated and extremely pale. This appearance is what is thought to have led them to eventually being called boogeymen. You know, and this is, uh, it's one of those words that can be applied to just about any type of monster. And maybe that's what makes it so scary is that a boogeyman can be whatever you imagine it to be. And as you know, our imaginations tend to run wild. I mean, that's why sometimes reading a, a horror book is even scarier than watching a horror movie or a scary movie because our imagination just runs wild. It plays tricks on us. That's why, you know, a jacket hanging on your closet door in the middle of the night, you know, our imagination takes over and conjures up images of it being a, a alien, a ghost, or a boogeyman. Number one, we have the mystery of dragons. Much like Boogeymen, it is unclear where exactly the legend of dragons first emerged. What is known is that they had been described as early as the times of ancient Greeks. For thousands of years, people had no idea what the massive fossils meant that were occasionally being discovered around the world. Therefore, a connection was made to dragons instead of dinosaurs. Uh, dragons were soon seen as villains that needed to be slain by brave fighters and knights, and they were cast in the role of Satan by the Christian church. The fire-breathing mouth of a dragon was also believed to be the entrance to hell. Medieval folklore included the tales of St. Margaret of Antioch, who was thrown in prison for her Christian beliefs. Legend had it uh, that a dragon was lurking in the prison cell, and as soon as she entered it, the dragon swallowed her whole. God gave St. Margaret the power to burst through the dragon's stomach, which led her uh, to survive, and it led to the dragon's death. St. Margaret eventually became, uh, became the patron saint of childbirth. <laughs> sounds, uh, sounds badass and everything, but I'm glad that actual childbirth doesn't work that way. I mean, can you imagine, like, little Jeffrey musters up the strength to, you know, karate chop his way out of the room? Gosh, no thank you, sir. As as for dragons, you know, they're kind of in the same category as mermaids. It's one of those legends, it kind of originates from all around the globe, multiple continents, and it, it kind of makes you wonder how people in different parts of the world could all be seeing, you know, or imagining describing the same exact creature, especially given the fact that ancient civilizations weren't actually, you know, regularly in contact with one another since travel wasn't easy. So it, it really does make you wonder. And if dragons are your cup of tea, you should definitely hop over to my other podcast, Paranormal Dads, pull up episode number 49, where we discuss multiple dragons that were spotted over the skies of uh, Iowa, in the skies of Iowa, Iowa of all places, right here in the heartland of the United States. You know, I live in Omaha, Nebraska, which is only 20 minutes from the border of Iowa, and I can't help but wonder... If those Iowa dragons are headed this way, because my paranormal dad's co-host, Eddie Fossler, swears on his life that he and his daughter saw an actual dragon flying overhead right here in Omaha, Nebraska a couple years ago. He says it was huge, it was roughly the size of a private airplane, and this thing had bat-shaped wings. Uh, what was it? I suppose that's anyone's guess. But, you know, it's even more reason to keep looking up when you're driving along an empty stretch of road. 
and keep looking down into the deep water next time you find yourself on a boat. Listen closely to your surroundings and heed the warning if you hear a distant scream. Dragons, mermaids, and banshees might not exist, but if they do, I would not be the least bit surprised. After all, we live in a world brimming with mythological mysteries, a world that is absolutely so strange.